Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here, and we're continuing to go through some of your mailbag questions for this July. First question, we're talking about if Julius Randle and Tom Thibodeau are actually a little underappreciated, and maybe if things are a little too tribal sometimes in discussing them, then we'll talk about who the worst player that we would include Emmanuel Toy quickly in a trade for would be. And we finish off casting a Space Jam reboot that's only the Knicks. Maybe slightly more sad than the regular Space Jam versions, but we'll see what happens next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Starts without a five. Ewing for the win. Yes! Up, left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. Anthony for three. Locked on Knicks, and today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. First time users can receive 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code Locked On. That's prizepicks.com, promo code Locked On. And we want to thank you guys for making Locked On Knicks first listen today and every day, whether you're checking us out on your favorite podcast platform or taking in the sights and sounds on YouTube. We appreciate you making us part of your daily routine. And if you haven't already, make sure you hit that notification bell on YouTube or the auto download function on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. I'm Alex Wolf. I'm editor in chief of Nick's site, The Strickland, which you can find at the Strick.land. And he's Gavin Shaw, your favorite play by play broadcaster's favorite play by play broadcaster. And we're having our favorite. Mailbag questions, favorite mailbag questions. I don't know, something like that. We're, <laughs> we're, we'll figure it out. Uh, we've got a, a good question here, Gavin. I think this is a good thought provoker. It sort of tries to dive into the mind of Knicks fans, sometimes a dark place. Uh, but we'll see how we could do. So uh, from Twitter, Ewing1357 at gmail.com. I suppose you can respond to this question yourself if you want to. At Ewing2462. Uh, why can't fans admit Randall is a good player, Tibbs is a good coach, and Tibbs and the Knicks wasted a talented player in Obi Toppin? Why is it so tribal? It seems obvious. So, Gavin, I read this question, I think it's just sort of like, why can't we just be a little more nuanced with the way that we talk about things sometimes? And, I mean, as the as the kings of nuance here on Locked on Knicks, we never fall prey to this, obviously, and, and are always 100% down the middle. But uh, I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, I've definitely not uh, had the phrase fire Tibbs in 12 episodes in the last 18 months that that 100 percent hasn't happened. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I think it's very easy to like like you're, you it's like being a fan is inherently an emotional endeavor. So, of course, when you have someone like Julius Randle, who is abjectly terrible the year you bring him in and everyone kind of rightfully like isn't a big fan. And then, like, that 2021 season, like, especially during COVID when everyone was struggling, everyone was looking for hope for a Knicks team that had no direction for, at that point, a decade. And he comes back with, like, the best season anyone's had, like, post-Mellow in 12-13. Like, all of a sudden, like, like there are going to be people who are going to be ride and die with that guy, no matter what, are going to be loyal and are going to be in his corner. 
And then the year after, like, it could not have been worse. Like, you have the thumbs down, which is just, like, the type of thing, like, that wasn't going to go over well anywhere in New York. Of course, that was going to be a you-know-what storm. Like, that was always going to be terrible. And then he comes back, and he's second-team All-NBA, and he was even better than he was two seasons ago. And, and he was a freaking monster during the regular season. Like, whatever happened during the playoffs, after the first 10 games of the year, the dude had, like, just one of the better power forward seasons I could remember in recent NBA history, contributed on defense, was hitting threes at a crazy rate that I couldn't believe, was bulldozing people, was like putting his you-know-whats in Jason Tatum's face, dunking on him. Like, it was an insane run. And then you have the sour note of the playoffs. Like, Alex, we can get to Tibbs in a sec, but just with Julius, like, in a place like New York, how could that guy not be divisive? Like, like it is... To me, like, it is both illogical if you want to say, like, yeah, be nuanced about it. And you can say both things can be true. But it's also inherently logical, like, when people are, like, fans and, like, pouring their emotions to it. Like, it's a human roller coaster. Yeah, I think it's also, I mean, this might be a little too, uh, I don't know, like, social commentary on this. But I think it comes down to, like, stand culture is very strong and i think that that seeps into basketball a lot you know people talk a lot about how people are less fans of teams anymore and, and i'm not saying this is the case for knicks fans because i think the knicks fans maybe are the most like invested in their team of any fan base that there is uh but i i think that there's this certain like like you just grow attached to a certain player and then you defend that player at all costs and i think that that's where things get a little dicey. Like, I think I think as it pertains to, like, Julius Randle, for example, I think even with how good he was this past season, like, it's not wrong to still, like, call out if he has a bad game. And then, you know, there are people and the people that show up in our YouTube comments or whatever that show up and want to be like, like, oh, well, he was so good in all the rest of the game. So, like, how dare you, like, call him out for this? And it's like, well, yeah, that could be true. But, you know, he also didn't do well in this game and, and you know, did some bad things. And these bad things sometimes, you know, recur in, in the way that he plays, you know, whether it's like getting tunnel vision sometimes or uh, not passing well to doubles or whatever. Like sometimes he does well with it. Sometimes he doesn't. You know, it's just like you have to just kind of take everything as it is and take it game to game, week to week, whatever. And I think that's the struggle that some people have with looking at basketball. And then it, it also just a innate desire and i feel like again this is sort of like social commentary but because of social media and because of people like always wanting to pull receipts or whatever like everybody has this desire to never be wrong or to at least like firmly plant themselves in one camp and always stick with that so that then they can never have someone pull an old tweet or something on them and be like well the other week you said this and now you're saying this so what gives Whereas, you know, at least with me, I'm always just like, well, people try to say that and be like, well, the other week you said Julius Randle's great and now you're saying he was bad. And I just go, well, that was last week. This is this is this week. So, you know, it's just like being able to admit those sort of things, I guess. And that sort of applies to Tibbs, too, I guess. Although maybe with Tibbs, it's even more even more nuanced than than with Randle necessarily. Yeah, because I think I think with Tibbs, like. Randall, you have legitimate variation. And in a sense, like this is, I guess, what I was trying to get at, that borderline justifies like fans being on extremes about him because it is true that he's really bad sometimes. And it is true that he's really good at times. But Tibbs, unlike Julius, is both at once and is always both at once. 
where there are admirable qualities. And I think for as much as like we've been down on him and we've been negative about him on this podcast, like we've been quick to admit that there are admirable qualities and that he is the Knicks playing with a level of effort and consistency that we have not seen from this team. I don't know, since Jeff Van Gundy was head coach, right? 20 plus years ago. And that is not something you take for granted because you fire that guy like Derek Fisher might be walking through that door. David, like I wish we could bleep out his last name, David Fisdale might be walking through that door, right? Like that can always happen to you. And you have to appreciate that like, hey, whatever you want to say about Tibbs, he gives more of a crap and is smarter about basketball to like the nth degree compared to those guys. And yet, like you can also look at things like, sorry, this is the one I always referenced, but it's, it's still bothering me. Like him not playing Quentin Grimes, even when Quentin Grimes wasn't making shots, when it was like, obvious obvious thing that would make a substantial difference against the Miami Heat and he's saying all right let me you know what I think this time even though they're not they're they're packing the paint with three defenders on poor tiny Jalen Brunson um to not guard RJ Barrett and Josh Hart I'm gonna try it one more time both those things are true so it's similar to Randall but it's different than Randall because for Tibbs the good and the bad Alex is there every game and in that sense like he is like maybe the most divisive guy yeah, I think so too. You know, it's he just consistent, and I mean, Tibbs does. It, Tibbs did at least this year do some things better, which was nice, yeah. like figuring out the the nine man rotation thing, getting away from the hockey shifts. You know, uh, being a little more experimental with lineups. You know, cool. Like he showed a little bit of growth, but then there's there were still things to be frustrated about, like the fact that you know, as this question referenced, like that the Knicks had to trade Obi Toppin just because Tibbs refused to play him in minutes with Julius Randle, you know, and there could have been an opportunity to at least have, have him playing, I don't know, 20 minutes a game or something. If Tibbs was willing to entertain just the idea of playing him like seven minutes with Randle per game and going small and just seeing what you could do. And, you know, that requires practicing that and, and giving it a shot in a game, even if it means losing one regular season game or whatever. So like, yeah, that that's, Definitely the case with Tibbs. And as you said, like Randall will have his ebbs and flows, but Tibbs, it's pretty consistent. Like once you see what he, what he's bringing to the table, the first like two, three weeks of a season, you pretty much know what the, the script is going to be for the most of that upcoming season outside of maybe one wrinkle that he'll throw in there. One thing that he'll impress you with like this year, it was the nine man rotation last year. It was, uh, it, you know, ditching Kemba Walker really fast, except for then he replaced that with starting Alec Burks at point guard and not playing Emmanuel quickly. Like, I don't know. It's, I, I do think to your point, it's easy to be like, well, it could be a lot worse because yes, it could. But the, the reality is, is that if the Knicks do find the right coach, eventually it could be a lot better too. Yeah. And I, I think, I guess the way I'd sum it up is like, I think with Julius there, there's some objective truth there. Like there, there are times where he is like in the aggregate good. There are times when he's in the aggregate bad, Coaching is just like you cannot you can quantify it, obviously, in terms of wins and losses. And like and maybe maybe you could argue that's the most direct stat and the easiest way to quantify it. But like there there aren't like easy numbers to look at. Like there are with Julius to say, like, all right, he shot bad this game. He didn't shoot bad this game. Like like it, it truly is in the eye of the beholder. And, and you give you give something in, that could be in the eye of the beholder to Knicks fans like they're going to they're going to make chaos with it. And they're, <laughs> they're going to make Twitter wars with it. And that that is what happens. And you know what? I, I love it because Alex, I don't think our podcast would exist um, without it. Um, I want to get into a great question from our friend Blue and Orange about who's the worst player that we would trade for Emmanuel quickly. But first, I want to tell everyone about our buddies over at 
prize picks. So how does prize picks work? You pick two to six players. If they go score more or less than their prize picks projection, you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. But Gavin, you might be saying, I don't want to compete against weirdos in their basements who know how to use Excel really well and and took statistics in college and, and more than one class and got, got eight pluses in it and understand this just far better than I'm ever willing to commit to it. The beauty of prize picks is you don't have to because there's no competing against other people, just you versus the projections available. And they offer projections in any sport that you can watch. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. They offer safe and fast withdrawals, and they're currently operational in over 30 states. And shout out to our guy, Sean Woodley, over in Canada. So download the prize picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, prize picks will give you $100 back. If you deposit $50, well, you got a free $50 from prize picks. So don't forget to enter promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. Alrighty, uh, Plue and Orange, our, our good buddy IRL, at Plue and Orange and Alex, he wants to know, who is the worst player you would trade for Emmanuel quickly in a trade to bring here? Alex, I know this is a good question because it makes my stomach hurt. Uh, what, what was your initial thought on this? Yeah, I feel like no matter how we answer this question, we're going to make someone mad. Um, it's either going to be like, you're overrating quickly, like, or it's going to be like, you're underrating quickly and you're giving away for nobody. Uh, we were kind of like just bouncing names of guys off of one another. And we sort of took this as to assume like if you can make the salaries match with, I guess, minimal other players around quickly or something. But that's sort of the challenging nature too, is that no matter what, if you include quickly in trade for an established player, you're going to have to include a lot of other salary around him. So it might include trading Hartenstein, you know, to make up an extra 10 million or, or Mitch to make up an extra 17 million or whatever, or, you know, obviously a Fournier. So like you could probably get close to what you need to, to trade for any various guys just by Fournier and quickly. But we sort of just approach this from the standpoint of just quickly, uh, like it, how comfortable would you be? And I guess the assumption would probably be like a couple picks or something for some of these guys, but Levine comes to mind first that I don't know. It's sort of like the it's it's like two polar opposites, right? They're like yin and yang, aren't they? Like Levine is like gaudy stats, but very questionable uh, impact stats quickly is not gaudy stats on paper, but extremely good impact stats like his is like advanced numbers sort of like the the ultimate like uh, just do you need a guy that could just score points? And, you know, Levine is that. Um, maybe the defense isn't super great, which with quickly it is. Can you absorb that? I don't know. I I can maybe see the Knicks if they had this on the table making that deal. This is probably where people will say I'm overrating quickly, but I don't know that I necessarily would make that deal, especially if R.J. Barrett's staying on the team because there's only one basketball. Yeah, I mean, call, call me crazy, but I, I don't think this would make any sense for the Knicks. Like, to your point, like Brunson, like the Knicks, some of their worst lineups last year were with Brunson and RJ on the floor together, and it's because they couldn't afford to play two bad defenders. And, and Levine's gotten better. He's probably better than either of those two guys, while still, like, and and our, our guys over at Locked on Bulls could correct me on this. Like, I would posit still being a bit below average on that end of the floor. He put up, at 28 years old, he put up 25 Four and a half and four last year on 49% shooting, 
38% from three, 85% from the line. Emmanuel quickly, uh, as a starter uh, this past season, 23-5-5-47-40-85. Essentially the same numbers with much better defense. And look, like, like quickly, like can he do that over 82 games where he's being asked to carry a team night in and night out? I think the efficiency would probably drop off a bit, right? But to me, like there's like quickly six years younger or five years younger. Like there, there's, there's almost no question there. I know that sounds crazy to say for a guy who did not win sixth man of the year compared to a perennial all-star and Zach Levine, but call me a homer. I'm not doing that one, Alex. Yeah, I, I don't think I would either. Um, I, I guess, so I'm going to save the one guy because I think that's the guy that we're, we're the most tempted by if it was basically a one-to-one swap. Yep. Which again will make someone mad, but uh, let's let's assume that you could get one of the big money stars that are maybe a little older and or have injury concerns. Let's say Damian Lillard or Carl Anthony Towns. Would you would you do that deal? Well, this one could probably be a short one. No, neither yeah. of them. I mean, yeah. Kat, I'm just not a fan of Cat, and Dan Dan makes no sense with Brunson. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, weirdly, I mean, I just don't. I think there's certain guys that it's just like. This is why we keep saying like RJ Barrett makes more sense. If you're going to make one of these big splash trades, you, you need to fill usage with use with usage and quickly doesn't need usage to be good. Whereas like a lot of other players that you potentially would be looking to trade for do as does RJ Barrett. And I don't know that RJ Barrett would necessarily slot into like a fourth role better. Um, uh, what about like another young guy? Like there, I think there is a case to be made for if you can, and, and you know, this is, I sort of made this case last year too, but in the case of a draft pick and, you know, I don't love the thought of doing this because I, I think that quickly was the rightful six man of the year this past year. I mean, he showed tremendous growth. He's again, super high impact player, but there is a case to be made about potentially moving him to get another young guy that has more of his rookie deal still to come. Because you're going to have to pay quickly, potentially this the end of this offseason. and then after this year, he becomes you know a big salary, sort of like what we're talking about with RJ Barrett. And as we see with the new CBA, that could potentially hamstring you a bit. Are there any young guys that you would potentially trade him for? Like if if some team was like, yeah, sure, we'd be willing to just do a one for one swap of this guy for Emmanuel quickly. Yeah, so we we wrote out a little list here. I um I didn't want to like go for like odd, like guy like guys who are in a different tier like a Kate Cunningham, like Jabari Smith Jr., Evan Mobley, like I think those guys everyone would would trade quickly for. Um people that I think are close to him. Uh Franz Wagner, I would I would trade Emmanuel quickly for. Just like I, I think this the size, the ability to play him and Brunson together, the shooting, like the like I quickly he's statistically a better defender, but with, like how big Franz is, like I think long term he's the guy I would take on that end. Uh, yeah, I think I, I am. I've said it before on this pod. I'm a huge fan of his, so I, I would take him. Benedict Matherin, no, like I just, I just prefer quickly like passing and defense, like over him. Like sure, I think, I think Matherin for their careers is probably going to be the better scorer. Um, I am, I, I, I like quickly more. Keegan Murray, I think you'd have to have another deal in place for RJ Barrett, but I, I see the argument with his size and his versatility and his shooting. Uh, Jalen Green, Alex, I'm going to throw that one back to you. Like that's one I just added. Like. That is an interesting one to me because he is like a volcanic talent. Like when he's hot, when he's cooking, like, like as much as like you watch quickly cook against the Celtics, like I think that dude has scoring talent out the wazoo. Every other aspect of the game quickly blows him out of the water right now. Yeah, I think so too. And I think that Green just sort of has that J.R. Smith quality to him about his game where it's just kind of like you watch him sometimes. And I mean, they got a bunch of those guys in Houston because uh, they also have Kevin Porter Jr., who just kind of goes out there and shoots and 
you know, well, I say a bunch. Those are the two that come off the top of my head, but very similar to the way they play. They go out there and they just kind of want to ISO and shoot a bunch. And that can be valuable in some cases and will lead to some big scoring outbursts. But then it's like, well, what else are you doing to make your team better other than that? I don't know that I see that with green. So as crazy as that is, this, would pro- this is probably one that would get us called homers. But I, I don't think that I would necessarily do that um, just because I don't really – I don't know if I quite see it with Jalen Green yet, that he could be like a player on a high-level winning team. Um, out of the guys you just mentioned, I mean, I think I would do, I would probably only do Franz as well just because – and, you know, the Magic wouldn't because they, they're looking at him saying, well, him and Paolo, like – so good together already. Like, you know, why, why would we get rid of those guys? Uh, either of those guys. And, you know, there's no like real overlap there. I don't think as far as like them playing similar position or something. So uh, unless they were just like, we just need a point guard and we're willing to sacrifice that. In which case I would do it because I do think that Franz would be yeah. more. And they did just draft Anthony black. So maybe. yeah, that's true too. Um, and other guys, uh, maybe this is the last class here, but like a and these guys vary from one end to the other, but like OG Ananobi, Mikhail Bridges, Brandon Ingram, very good younger players, but depending on who you talk to, superstars. Uh, I don't know, I think that would probably be the answer for me. And OG would be the low end of that, where if it was like a one for one swap, I'd be like, Ugh, I just worry about having to pay OG a bunch of money, what his expectations would be as far as usage and stuff like that. Uh, granted, the same could be said for McCall Bridges and, and Ingram as well. But, you know, the, with them, the talent would just be too overwhelming that you say, you know what, I would hate to lose quickly. But these guys are on the younger side, if not super young, and like are entering their primes. And I think that's a movie make if you want to legitimately compete. And you probably have to give up more than just quickly. Yeah. But yeah, that's, I would part with them in a deal like that. Bridges uh, somehow makes less money than quickly is going to make. Oh, like well, once once he gets the extension, so he's like I think three years and like twenty two million a year less. So Br- Bridges is like one of the best. Like he's right there with Jalen as like the best contract in the league. Um, yeah, Ingram in a second. OG like it's kind of the same qualifier as Keegan Murray. Like straight up, like I, I think people underrate this when they talk about trading Emmanuel quickly. Like who who's who's your secondary ball handler behind Jalen Brunson? Like is RJ like RJ has not looked good in that role in his career when he's had to do it. Um, Julius can be a secondary creator and decision maker, but he's not point guarding your bench units. Or like, I, I don't think he should be point guarding your bench unit. Steven Chenzo, um, I know he has like some point guard qualities and he's a very good passer. Like he does not have the ball handling or like th- or the ability to put pressure on the rim the way quickly does. Like you, there's a case to be made that you're a better team with OG just because the fit with him and Brunson is so clean. And like, and you'd probably like what I would do in that scenario is I'm making my starting lineup like Brunson, Grimes, OG, and I'm just making RJ my sixth man and, and basically giving him quickly's minutes. And when he's cooking, I'm letting him finish games. But that is uh, a less than ideal solution. So I'd really have to sit on that one. At the end of the day, push comes to shove. Like OG's such a special defender. I'm probably doing it. But I, I think people – and like we saw in the playoffs, Alex, when we just like were watching Jalen Brunson go one on four, like – like that's Emmanuel quickly's value to the Knicks. Like it gives you another guy who can like at least create a shot for other players. Yeah. And I don't really see that with like an OG either. So, you know, and, and I don't know if I necessarily see creation with him either, which is the thing, like he still has to be a benefactor of what other people do, whereas quickly can create for himself and for others. So, but in the, for the, just the short term, like potential 
make a run at the East play, I, I think it would be a worthy risk to take, even if it might end up coming to burn you in like four years time. Um, but hopefully we won't have to go through that. What we will go through is casting a Nick centric space jam in just a moment. So we're going to take our final little break here, come back and we're going to uh, talk about who we would cast. If there was a Nick's only version of space jam, kind of a fun summer blockbuster type of question. So we'll do that in just a sec. All right, we're back in, and we got our final mailbag question here for this episode. And we might still have a little left over to do one last episode. Uh, but our buddy Ignacio, Ignacio Lobregat on Twitter, says, Hi, guys. If there was a Knicks version of Space Jam, who would be the main character teaming up with the Looney Tunes? Which Knicks from any era would have their talent stolen by the Monstars? And how would that story go? So the story thing is the first thing that intrigues me. I thought it was interesting because we both were like, well, Clyde has to be the main character. And I, I think it's kind of fun. I think there's a there's like a time travel element you could work in here. I haven't seen it yet, but I've seen that like the new Indiana Jones, which I guess was kind of a box office flop all told, but not Dial of Destiny. Yeah, Dial of Destiny. Apparently a box office flop all around. But uh, you know, the the overall premise was showing sort of a a present and then past version of Indiana Jones. Considering Clyde's impact on multiple generations of Knicks fans, I feel like there's something there. To turn this into like Clyde has to go back in time, like present day Clyde has to go back in time and get past Clyde to lead this, but then he has to introduce him to the modern world and tell him what the heck is going on, explain to him what a Looney Tune is, like <laughs> all this other stuff. I think there's some potential here. I think this this could be a time traveling story. Yeah, I'm 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 into it, and uh, and you you pointed out um, correctly that Patrick Ewing was one of the guys who got. Um, his his power stolen in the first movie, and it would I think it'd be pretty good for him to to get a oh man again. Um, that would that'd be great. Patrick gets um, duped twice. <laughs> yeah, brutal, brutal for a guy who's had like some some painful moments in his career, some real highs, but also like losing the UNC, everything against the Bulls, his entire head coaching tenure. Like that would that would just be one more one more kick uh, down there. Um, but uh, the other guys we had, uh, Alex, you and I made a list together, like. We just went pure talent. Like at least my starting lineup would include a bunch of modern guys: uh, Ewing, Amari Stoudemire, Carmelo Anthony, Stefan Marbury, Jalen Brunson. Because I, I think that was generally like like they were like all, all those guys had like plus wingspans. Like I know I know their IQ for whatever reason like dropped down to about like negative six, but but they they were they were real freaks in that movie. So I think a Mello, a Stat, a Marbury, representative of that kind of insane talent. But there was also the one just like short point guard one. And I guess that would, that would be Jalen Brunson, like doing, doing up and unders on, on Bugs Bunny and j just torturing him with that. Yeah. I think Ewing is an obvious answer to the pure comedy of him getting his talent stolen twice would be pretty great. Um, I think Mello for sure. Mello's got that like Hollywood charisma. He's also got the game of someone that can antagonize you. Mm. Uh, if, if you had to play against him, you know, with the pure scoring talent, they could just have him like jab stepping, uh, uh, you know, Daffy Duck into the oblivion. Tasmanian devil, you can just <laughs> jab stepping the Tasmanian devil. You know, whatever. Uh, so that would be pretty cool. Uh, I think Brunson for sure has to be part of it because you have to have something that really tugs your heartstrings. So the modern Knicks fan will be like, "Oh no, Jalen Brunson, they got him too." Like, oh, I'm I'm so heartbroken over this uh, that they stole Jalen Brunson's talent. Um, more so than Marbury or. Stoudemire. I kind of think Willis Reed would make a really good monster, 
he's kind of a goon to begin with, mm. you know, like a classy dude off the court, but a goon on the court in the best way possible. Uh, you know, once got into a fight with the entire Lakers team, basically, and went like one v four on a bunch of guys and won. Um, <laughs> and we we heard the the story of uh, about the late Willis Reed from Harvey Ayrton the one time, uh, and I think he told it again in our like retrospective on on Willis's life where he was like, you know, that Willis went up to his teammates after he got in that brawl and went like, why didn't you guys have my back? And they, and they were like, well, you were winning. So we <laughs> left you go. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I think that he would be a ferocious, you know, a guy to potentially steal his talent for me personally. I think uh, I would have to include Spreewell, uh, but depending on what Knicks fan you talk to, that could potentially be Spreewell or, John Starks, whoever whoever holds your heart from the '90s, there for me it was Sprewell based off when I when I grew up as a Knicks fan. So that would be like another like sort of rough and tumble player on the Monstars that they would you know maybe go back in time to try to get or whatever. But maybe also Allen Houston if they need to like diversify and have like a sharpshooter for the modern modern style of basketball. If um if the Looney Tunes are playing you know pace and space, maybe you need an Allen Houston to shoot some threes. I also threw Julius Randle in there, although I kind of like Julius Randle in this case in the Bill Murray role of the unlikely hero. Uh, comes in at the end, you know, Clyde is up against the wall and doesn't know what to do and is is looking for a solution. Then in comes Julius Randle to save yeah. him and the Knicks and the Looney Tunes and the whole world. Well, let me throw it at you. Which which like celebrity would you throw in there? Like I I, I thought of Ben Stiller immediately when you when you brought that up. I think Ben Stiller would be good. Uh I would say not Spike Lee. I don't know. I just wouldn't want to give him the satisfaction and pick a different fan. Um, not, not that Bill Murray was that believable to be good. Like Spike Lee would be like the least believable to like yeah. contribute to to beating that team. Yeah, I'm trying to think who else. Like I, I think I think Ben Stiller probably is is one of the, maybe John Stewart. John Stewart would be pretty cool. Tracy He's, Morgan would be funny. Tracy Morgan would be funny. Yeah. Um, Try to think. Uh, yeah, I think those are pretty good options. I'm trying to think who else is on Celebrity Row a lot that I would also want to throw uh, into the movie. Weirdest one would be, I don't know if you're a Gossip Girl or you fan, but Penn Badgley, who's a big Knicks fan. That would that would just, like, I, I don't know. I wouldn't know what to make of that, but that, that would be an, an interesting choice. That would be, yeah. I, I was thinking, like, as far as, like, funny people, but he's, like, not a native New Yorker, but he was sort of an adopted Knicks fan, but, like, Trevor Noah's had a lot of games. He could be kind of fun. I don't know. Great. I just think a comedian of some sort. Trevor yeah. Noah, I could see maybe being slightly believable because he's on the younger side, too, like, that he could go in there and just light somebody up. But the whole point with Bill Murray was that he wasn't even good. Like, he was just a live body. <laughs> he had so. one, one sick pass, if I remember. Correctly. Yes, I think that was what it was, is he, like, threw the one pass to Michael or something. Yeah. It might have been the pass that eventually Michael – wound up going up for the dunk who would be the newman character oh that's a good question i didn't, i forget what newman's name even was in the yeah, movie no. i forget what newman's real name even is he's just newman at this nice, point to me nice Whew, we should have thought about this before we recorded <sighs> who would i know but it's someone, so much better on the spot someone, i feel like there's like an obvious hint someone is action like, bronson maybe yeah. action bronson would be a good newman he'd be funny except for it would be <laughs> not a fan but like uh but brian windhorst is newman would be good <laughs> like following him with the fingers. <laughs> yeah, what is what is uh, what's going on here? What is that? Yeah, mean? yeah. Why 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 do we get sucked into a golf hole? <laughs> yeah, what does it mean? <laughs> yeah, into that. Uh, but yeah, all right. I think we did it. Um, who? Uh, how does? Wait. So, what's Clyde's version of the stretchy? The stretchy uh, dunk. Does he dime someone up? Does he get a steal? Yeah, that's a good question. 
I don't know. I would, I would guess he, he learns the stretchy arms and does a does a steal he at, a finger roll, maybe. Yeah, steal yeah. a finger roll. And he has to work a rhyme in there somewhere. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like old Clyde would be the coach and young Clyde would be the player. This would be how this time travel story would work. Yeah. And he like piggybacked the time traveling that the Monstars were using without them realizing to get his young version of himself. Right. And somehow like they have like Breen like tied up in like a broadcasting chair, like doing the MX. Like, I don't know what's going on here, but big shot <laughs> by Clyde. Nice job, yeah. Clyde. <laughs> bang, bang. Clyde wins. Bang. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we did it. Anyway, quickly, it just like if Mike Breen was ever in like not not hoping for this, but if he was ever in a hostage situation, would he just scream bang to like identify himself or to, like confuse like like whoever has him or maybe is that how, is that how he would get out of it? Like yeah, I'm up here, bang. I don't know. I, I don't know if you would take that chance though, because there's a chance they just take that as a cue to shoot him. Right, right. Yeah, it's risky. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, someone someone can ask us at that next time, and we'll, we'll explore it further. Um, but, uh, but until then, <laughs> that's, a full question. Uh, that's it for this episode of Locked on Nixon. We will uh, talk to you soon, maybe with one more mailbag episode, uh, some very special guests to come the rest of this week, and uh, we'll have it all for you on Locked on Nixon.